the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get a full supply of ad free content at your fingertips. Visit theathletic.com slash track today for 40% off your first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash track. Happy Monday. My name is Mike Chinetti. Big NFL day, big NFL weekend. Uh, there was plenty to watch otherwise. And, you know, baseball playoffs were solid. Mired in controversy as baseball will have us. But big, big NFL games did not disappoint. And I'm not going to shy away from that this week. Generally, I try to zag instead of zigging. Um, I'm going to lean into this one a little bit and I guess maybe take a different angle on some things. I'm going to talk running backs after that weekend, (laughs) financially speaking, at least for a little bit here. And then I am going to dive into the quarterbacks because we have some well-paid quarterbacks to talk about. We have some players who may be paid to talk about, and we have some players who are not yet eligible to be paid, but we have to talk about. So I think that'll be segment two here, which is basically a, a rip down of current market valuations. I've got the week five stats in as they currently exist. So I'm able to kind of give you for some of these players, you know, the Herberts, the, the Murrays, a pretty good 18 week now assessment of how these guys look, how these guys stack up according to, you know, the Goffs, the Wences, the Mahomes, the Allens, and now the Prescotts and where they're going to stand. So that's that's in a few minutes here. But first, I, I really want to deep dive on this because I, I'm fascinated by who the Browns are. And the Browns are going to be a focal point in both of these conversations today. And they have been before. And I'm going to bring them back into the fold in a couple of days with our, with our Wednesday show as well. Um, it's a big NFL week. A little bit of baseball mixed in. We'll get to some basketball because that's about to start up. And, and hockey actually starts up this week as well. So we'll find some time for for some hockey numbers and some NBA numbers as those things kind of round into shape. But I would be remiss now week five if I didn't look at this Browns situation with a little bit more of a microscopic view because what they've, what they've done, and we've said this before, this is not a secret, you know, the Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb thing, I don't think it's being addressed enough. I really don't because Nick Chubb's... <sighs> I'm going to say this. Nick Chubb's the most efficient, best running back in football. And I think he has been for two and a half years. So the fact that he he signed a $12 million contract, truly a $12 million contract, is good for him. Not great for him. Good for him. Great for the Browns. It was good for Kareem Hunt at the time. You know, Kareem Hunt went first. Nick Chubb came second. He's going to get... 28 million over three years out of this deal before the dead cap kind of uh, really kicks in. He, you know, they could get out next year if they needed to, because that's how any unstable non-quarterback contract works these days. But you got Nick Chubb. So let's look at it that way. Let's say it's 28 over three. That's 9.3 million per year. Okay. And, And he is right now, I'm looking statistically speaking through the first five weeks He's the best full-time running back in football. And you can say he splits his shares. He's got over 500 attempts. So when I take away all the part-time players, and I'm looking at the, at, the, at the stats as we speak here, you know, your Tony Pollard's, Tony Pollard's averaging 6.4 yards per attempt right now. He's got 51 attempts, 325 yards. 
Nick Chubb has 90 attempts, 523 yards, and he's averaging 5.8, four touchdowns to boot. Kareem Hunt is third on this list. 55 attempts, almost 300 yards. He's 5.4 per attempt. So between the two, they're averaging 5.6 yards per carry in Cleveland. You know, I, I realize they're three and two. I realize they're not leading their division. That could change after tonight, but what they're doing is old school football. They've beefed up their offensive line via free agency. You know, they added a tight end, a blocking tight end via free agency, and they've rebuilt this defense via every channel possible. The defense has underperformed, and so has the quarterback. And so has Baker Mayfield. And, and that's the fascinating angle here, right? Because I'm going to talk Baker in, in a couple of minutes here when I get to those valuations, of course. But this could be a model for teams that haven't found their superstar quarterback. And I realize where Baker was drafted makes people believe that he has to be that player. But they're going to prove that he doesn't have to be. That's what they're doing right now. That's what they've been doing for a year and a half. You know, they've been progressing slowly without Baker. Yes, Baker took steps last year, but there were a lot of question marks as to did he take those steps or did the team around him lift him to those to those steps, to those better channels, to those better statistics? I think we're seeing what's what that answer is right now after more than a quarter now of this NFL season. You know, Baker's not going to go out there and win games for the Cleveland Browns. That's just not the kind of player he is in the NFL, and that's okay. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo was that kind of player, probably still is that kind of player. I think he'll, he'll get pushed back into the fold next week. And San Francisco's offense will, will calm down. That's just, some teams need that. You're not going to draft a Mahomes every year. You're not going to draft, you know, what Josh Allen has turned into every year. Those, those players just don't exist because it's not just who the player is. It's the situation they're dropped into, the coaching that's built around them, the offensive line that's, that's in front of them and the weapons that are available. It, it takes so much luck, so much chemistry, so much timing to get this all to work properly. It's just not going to happen. So the 85% of the other franchises that don't have those diamonds in the rough right now, you know, not the Chargers, not the Bills, not the Chiefs, you've got you've to you've pivot. And I, I think that's what we're seeing in Cleveland, whereas... They're not worried about Baker Mayfield because he's enough of a quarterback to sustain the roster that they've built. It's good GM work. It's really good GM work. And, you know, this is probably the conversation that this Browns organization sat down with these running backs with and said, hey, you know, if I'm Andrew Barry, I'm saying this exact thing to Kareem Hunt. And I'm saying this exact, even more so to Nick Chubb because Hunt's is kind of uh, still playing on his on his borrowed time. You know, he's still trying to climb his way back from his issue in Kansas City that got him released in the first place. So Cleveland was kind of his savior team to begin with. So he had to play ball financially speaking, in my opinion. But not Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb could have gone out there and pushed for McCaffrey money and Zeke money. And he had all the statistics to back it up. He wanted to be here. He bought into this system. He bought into a system that is not going to put mileage on him at the rate that McCaffrey's getting mileage, that Derrick Henry's getting mileage. He took less than Derrick Henry money because he knew he had to share the load, but he knew that sharing the load would help his team and help him physically possibly have a longer career. You know, it's possible that we get to 2023 and Nick Chubb has an out in his contract 
Kareem Hunt may be off the roster at that point. And then they say, all right, now give me the Derrick Henry contract. Now give me an extra three years because I have 80% of the mileage that those running backs have. I'm still doing this thing at a high level. I can still give you two, two and a half years of really A-plus production. So I, I think the approach that Cleveland has taken here and gotten these guys to buy into should be the right approach for every team that doesn't have a Mahomes. I truly believe this. I, I really do. Um, we can't just abandon the run game. We can't do it. And here's why. So I ran some quick numbers this morning over my cup of coffee. Because the Browns right now, in terms of combined average salary, right? Not cap, because cap is fluid. It's funny money. Combined average salary of all the running backs on the active roster. The Browns have the most expensive running back core in football. So I, I went back to 2015. And I found the most expensive running back core in football and what that meant for that team in that subsequent year. 2015 was the Eagles. They led the league in, in, in running back money. They went 7-9 and nine and missed the playoffs. Minnesota, 2016, led the league in running back money. 8-8, eight and eight, missed the playoffs. Here we go, though. Jacksonville, 2017. That was Bl the Blake Bortles pre-extension year when they barely lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. They were 10 and 6. They had the highest running back pay. That was Carlos Hyde. That was Leonard Fournette and two other, you know, million dollar plus running backs. They went with a four man running back arsenal. It was successful for them because Blake Bortles was a game manager. They went 13 and 3 and lost, excuse me, 10 and 6 and lost in the AFC Championship game. 2018, that's the Rams. That's the girly year. 13 and 3, Super Bowl loss. Next year was the Rams again. They went 9-7 and seven but missed the playoffs. And then last year, the Saints, most running back money with Kamara's new contract. They went 12-4, and four, lost in the divisional postseason. Here's my point. It's a 50-50 shot, right? It's a 50-50 shot that this works over the past six years. And the Browns, like I said, are 3-2 and two right now, trending way upward, even though they had the, the, the weird loss this weekend. I don't think this is the wrong approach is my point. And if I would have run this back to the top three running back spenders, my, I would bet money, my own money, that it would trend more towards those teams made the playoffs versus they didn't make the playoffs. And, and look, if you look at the situations where the, where the players, where the teams did make the playoffs with high paid running back arsenals, it's arsenal based. It's not, we have one guy, we're, we're going to pay him a, a, a truckload of money and then fill in with some fifth round picks or, or, you know, aging veterans on $700,000 veteran, you know, minimum benefit contracts to sort of fill in the blanks. That's not the, that's not what's working here. You know, the saints last year, that's Kamara on big money and Latavius Murray, Murray on big backup money. Something that they almost ran with again this year before the late release. So the saints were, a bit of an expanded version of what this Browns team is, right? Kareem Hunt's at six, Nick Chubb's at 12. That's in that model. That's within the model that, that I'm talking about here. I think it's the right approach. And I'm going to tell you who's going to take this leap next. It's going to be the Packers because Aaron Rodgers era is most likely done. You know, out goes Aaron Rodgers, probably out goes Devontae Adams from Green Bay next year. Aaron Jones is signed, signed. He's not guaranteed, you know, the next couple of years, but he's signed through the next two, three years. And AJ Dillon looks like he can really ball. And I hated the draft pick at the time because of the window they were in. 
but I'm not naive enough to say that they don't need that second impactful running back. And now is the time when they do. I think 2022 will be the time when the Packers can roll with an Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, you know, two, one, two punch where Dillon's maybe making eight Jones is making his 13 and they can sort of build the offense around that and bring in Jordan love or maybe a veteran quarterback. If, if Jordan love isn't the guy, whatever has to happen. But, um, I do think that's the approach for these teams that are stuck in the middle. I, I truly believe this. And I think it's a situation where the 49ers missed out. I do. The Mostert situation was going to help. But, you know, Jimmy's a game manager. Trey Lance, ain't, he's not ready. And that's okay. That's They drafted him knowing he wasn't ready. They said it in front of a microphone. He's not ready. Jimmy's going to be the guy this year. They wanted him to wait it out. And, and Jimmy's, you know, obvious injury situation set, restarted this clock too fast for them. But the 49ers had a chance. And what I'm talking about here is not bottom of the barrel teams. I don't think that the Detroit Lions should dedicate themselves to running through a run game. You know, I don't think the Houston Texans should be building themselves their winning game. They kind of are because they don't have a choice right now. But, you know, they shouldn't go and pay running backs right now is my point. That's that's too far down the path. They are those teams are in a place where they're roster-wise, statistically, standings-wise, they're going to get a quarterback in the first round next year or in two years. That's where they are. I'm talking about, you know, your middle teams right now, kind of where the Browns sit, kind of where, uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to say a few other teams here, uh, you know, kind of where the Dolphins sit. They they swung and missed with with building running back depth this offseason, big time in my opinion. The Broncos did did it right. And they acquired Melvin Gordon. They drafted you know heavily in Javante Williams. The Raiders have done this well. Derek Carr is not going to be that elite production guy for 17 games. That's already fallen back down to earth, right? But they have Jacobs. They have Drake. They have Jalen. They have three impactful running backs, and they're well paid. Even though Jacobs is still on his rookie contract, it's still pretty, you know it's a it's an expensive rookie contract. The Bengals are doing this right now with a young Joe Burrow. Obviously, the Browns are doing this. To some degree, the Colts are doing this. Taylor's on his rookie contract still, but they just paid Hines. I, I think this is the right approach. If your team's in the middle of the standings right now, and they were kind of there last year as well, this is the right approach. You know, Derek Carr isn't Patrick Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. He's never going to be. And we're going to talk about, financially speaking, what that should mean in a few minutes here. But I don't want to abandon the running game because the running game wins. It wins games. Yes, in the regular season and yes, in the postseason. Tennessee can go on a run here and nobody would be surprised. Julio Jones might miss another three games. He might miss another eight games this year. That's kind of what the Julio Jones situation is right now. But Derrick Henry is not slowing down. And by the way, we're, we are never talking about Derrick Henry on October 11th. He's a, he's a Thanksgiving and on guy. He has been his whole career. They're asking him to do more right now. He could have a monumental season ahead of us right now, truly. And he's going to have to carry this team, but he can. The point is he can. He can win them games single-handedly with a game manager quarterback and what Tannehill has, I don't know, regressed back to this year. So I, I really like what we're seeing here from some of these teams. And I think we should see more of it. I think we should see teams who are not afraid to sit down with running backs in a room and say, look it, we're willing to extend you. We're willing to go six, 7 million a year with you. 
as long as you're playing ball with us, as long as you understand that that means less carries, a little less mileage for you, it's going to extend your career by at least a year. It has to. 27 is just too damn young to get these guys out of the league. We got to get these guys closer to 30 before we truly throw them by the wayside. Um, or, or what are we doing here? So that's point A. We got to extend these guys' careers. And point B is having two that add up to 15 to 19 million, you know, or three or four that add up to 15 or 19 million more of an arsenal. It's a, it's a, it's a good recipe for success. It has been forever, but I, I just want to bring it back to the light that it still works. It still works on a regular basis. And yes, teams that have their anomaly quarterbacks, you know, Josh Allen is never going to need a Nick Chubb, at least not for the short term here. Patrick Mahomes, he could probably use better than Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but he's never going to need a Nick Chubb, okay? Because he can do things that overcompensate for what a home run hitting running back can do. You know, he could use a Tony Pollard type player. I think every team in the league could certainly use that. A real versatile, you know, RB2 who can step in at any moment and break it. That's what I'm talking about here. When you have that guy, in fact, Dallas should be how I finish this conversation. Dallas is paying Zeke 16. He's fully guaranteed through next year. He's not going anywhere. They restructured so the dead cap has locked him in. He, uh, they should have no pro- no trouble signing Tony Pollard. No trouble. If that guy truly gets their offense and he understands what Kellen Moore is trying to do here with a lot of the fancy footwork, there should be no situation in their mind where Jerry Jones says, eh, we've already paid Zeke, we've already paid Dak, we've already paid Amari, we're going to have to pay you know, Lamb. There's a lot to get to. I get it. But don't be afraid after this season when Pollard becomes extension eligible to say, hey, man, we want you here for three more years. You know, Some of that may be... Without Zeke, you know, similar to what Cleveland has, it's a bit of a staggered progression. You know, Zeke may be gone in two years with his age, with his production, with his injury history. You know, our, contractually wise, we're we're prepared to do that, but don't be afraid to lock in Tony Pollard to to five and a half to seven and a half million, an Austin Eckler type deal. It's the right approach. It's it's a it's a recipe for success. You don't want these guys to be unhappy, disheveled, or just simply want to be moving on. And yes, I understand the franchise tag works for a lot of this. And the franchise tag for the running back is like 9 million right now. But that's going to increase, you know, as we've got more and more guys getting 12 million plus. So that's going to be out of the, it's not going to be a value decision anymore for this type of running back, for the conversation I'm having. It's going to put you in a situation where you're overpaying for one year and you're going to, you're going to really piss off that running back who's just looking for a multi-year guarantee. Two years, not one, two years. Let's be realistic here, not four. Um, so something to think about. You know, when you look at our positional spending rankings on Track, and you click spending by team next to running backs, you know, you can get lost here. You can say, holy cow, there's only five teams or six teams right now that have 10 million plus. That's true for all the combined cap dollars. So if I flip this thing to AAV, how many teams are, are spending 10 million plus on all of their running backs right now? It's 12. It's much less than half. The Baltimore Ravens have three running backs active right now at 2.8 million per year combined. Okay. Good thing Lamar can run, right? <laughs> Same thing with the Bears, right? Obviously with, with Montgomery still in his rookie contract and, and Tree Cohen hurt and it's, a, it's an ugly situation there. Good thing Justin Fields can run. Here's the Dolphins situation and they were, you know, they were expecting Tua to run 
The Dolphins had a chance to upgrade big time with that running back position, and they're rolling with Miles Gaskin and Malcolm Brown at $3 million a year. You know, it's not enough. It, it's not enough. So that's a team that I think underproduced this offseason in terms of building that roster out on a team that started to win last year. But 12 teams paying $10 million plus for all the running backs. The Browns sit at the top of this list. The Saints are second, kind of right behind the Browns based on what they did. And uh, Carolina's third with McCaffrey, and Dallas is fourth with Zeke. Cincinnati Bengals are fifth. That's a team to watch. I mean, a mixing in that crew, they can win some games. That's a team to watch. But who's got the deepest and well-built, financially rostered running back core right now? It matters. You know, if you're not Mahomes, if you're not Allen, it matters. If you're not Herbert, it matters. So something to keep an eye on this year. It's going to be a, a recurring theme in a lot of these weather games and a lot of these injury-riddled games, certainly penalized games. That's not going away. But if the Browns can get this thing to the finish line, you know, we've had a team, like I said, in the past six years, spend the most on running backs and make it to a Super Bowl in the Rams and lose. We've had a, a Jaguars team get to the AFC Championship game and lose, and then the Saints last year get to the divisional playoffs and lose. It's starting to trend in that direction. That's four out of the past five years right there. The highest paid running back team deep into the postseason. So the Browns are, are trending in that direction as well. The AFC is weak. It's weaker than the NFC. There's a chance that the Browns can really make some noise now for the next 12 weeks plus. And they're going to do it with their running backs. They're not going to do it with Baker Mayfield's arm. So something to think about for the rest of the teams or for your team who's maybe sit, stuck in the middle of the standings right now and you're thinking about how the hell do we get him a Holmes? I don't know if that's the right, right mindset. I really don't. It's how do we improve this offensive line and how do we get two running backs that we can pound through that through and around that offensive line and rack up points and kill clock and, and game manage ourselves to 12 victories. You know, that's, that's the realistic approach with a lot of organizations right now. That's how Detroit can get back on track. I think I really, I really believe that, you know, if they get an offensive line, that's healthy. Jared Goff is certainly a game manager. He's proven that in, La in Los Angeles. So they've got a lot more work to do before they can pay running backs is my point because they're, you know, they're a lot, a lot of pieces away. But when you're thinking about getting the lions from zero to 75 on the Richter scale, right? I think it starts with offensive line. And then you got to think about that run game. You got to think about the trenches and understand that this is how you eke out a lot of wins in the middle of the season. And certainly once the weather breaks, all right, let's take a break, come back and talk some quarterback money. Today's episode is brought to us by balance bridge funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost effectively. Avoid broker fees with no prepayment penalties if you decide to pay it back early. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow for any other reason, let Balance Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. That's balancedbridge.com. All right, as promised, it's time for a little quarterback talk. I'm going to start here. I want to start, I'm looking at our free agent tracker for 2022. Something I'm actively working on, by the way, is getting our free agent piece out. I realize it's way too early, but it's never too early. So free agent quarterbacks available to be unrestricted free agents come next March. You know, this time last year, we were talking about some serious names. 
you know, some serious movement. The quarterback carousel was real. It didn't really disappoint. There was plenty of movement, plenty of at least consideration, even for the, the Russell Wilsons and the Aaron Rodgers for quite a bit there. Certainly the, the Watson situation unfolded differently than we thought it would, but it's not so great this year. <laughs> Let's just bury the lead. Um, you know, Jameis may be the most tantalizing option. And I have to imagine he's doing just enough to stick around in New Orleans. There's probably a, a mini extension coming for Jameis right now. And look, there's a lot of, lot of season left. You know, he may implode or explode one way or the other, which could turn to a very different financial conversation. I guess there's a franchise tag possibility, but with, with the Saints cap situation, that just seems out of the realm. You know, they love to nickel and dime their cap. They love to be able to move it around and, and taking that big of a hit, which would be, it would be a big hit. Let's be perfectly honest, you know, 30 million plus here. So it's probably not the right approach for Jameis. I'd say at this point, he's probably done enough to win the job next year. So you'd probably want to get him on a two or three year extension to be able to, you know, use some void years, spread out a signing bonus, you know, all the, all the cap things that, Saints and the Eagles and, and those kind of organizations have to do to, to stay afloat. Um, so I'd lean towards that's he's not even going to become available. That leaves us Bridgewater, Dalton, Tyrod, maybe Taysom, Jacoby Brissett, Big Ben, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a lot of injuries there, a lot of aging, aging situations there. It's just not a good list. It's not a good list. You know, Bridgewater is probably the most attractive. And if they do a, an Aaron Rodgers trade, which so many of us really think is going to happen, he's looking for team, what, number four or five here? I, he'll find work. He'll be competing for a starting job somewhere. But I, to me, it doesn't seem like he's doing enough this year on, on, a, on a team and on an offense where he really... If he had it, I think he really should be excelling. There's a, you know, I understand that the wide receiver arsenal has been hurt, but it seems like they have enough. They have an, they have an adequate enough offensive line. The running back situation should be strong, um, and even the the third and fourth options at wide receiver here are pretty darn good. You know, Cortland Sutton's had his moments. Tim Patrick is injured again, but there's there's options there for him, and he's got a nice tight end. And no offense, so I just think if if it wasn't going to happen, if it hasn't happened yet for Denver. I wonder if if his starting career is probably over. So long story short, I'm not sure that there's a starting quarterback about to become available next year. I I, I really don't. So it's it remains to be seen how Jameis finishes it out, how Bridgewater finishes it out. You know, I can't imagine Ben even has an option to come back anywhere next year. So I'm keeping him off this list. I guess Taysom could be attractive to somebody. I, I guess I'm spitballing on that one, but. Um, my point is this, it's going to be mostly about keeping your own when we talk about next year, it's going to be mostly about Baker Mayfield entering a fifth year option, Lamar Jackson entering a fifth year option, you know, the, the availability of Daniel Jones for an extension, although he just suffered a nasty injury. Um, and I guess we can start there. You know, I'm, I'm not going to pile on Daniel Jones here because I think he's had a, a bit of a renaissance year here. He's starting to find it, figure it out. I think they're starting to, to put the weapons around him that actually gel with him in New York. And the coaching staff has really started rounding things into form to some degree. 
But when I, when I use our algorithm and I pump Daniel Jones into our system over the past year and a half here, these are the quarterbacks that, that our stats want to evaluate him against. Teddy Bridgewater is the, the high bar. So his one year, $11.5 million contract. The best fit evaluations for Daniel Jones are Dwayne Haskins, Mitchell Trubisky, Mason Rudolph, and Kyle Allen. So, uh, it's not great. In other words, Daniel Jones is trending toward being a backup quarterback. That's what he's done statistically for the first year and a half, you know, 2020 through 2021 here's the start. So, you know, hopefully it gets himself back in the field and refines what he had because he, he did have some production starting to build, starting to build up. There was some momentum starting there. So uh, I'm not going to kill him yet. There's, t- there's certainly time, you know, there's no need to cut him or extend him after this year. I think you, you know, maybe he's not the QB one, but there's time in that contract to work it out is my point. And it's still certainly cheap enough to, to carry him along with. Let's talk about the quarterbacks that at least have an option. And Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, they're still going to be one entire year away. So we can have the conversation about money for them now because our math is available, but they can't even be extended until after 2022. So Justin Herbert wins the Super Bowl this year. Doesn't matter. They, uh, these two can meet in the Super Bowl, Justin Herbert versus Kyler Murray. You know, one of them wins, one of them loses. Neither of them are getting paydays because both of them have to wait until after 2022. It's just the facts of life. So, um, that doesn't stop us from evaluating them statistically speaking. And I can tell you right now, they are second and third respectively in terms of market valuations that I've done on, on quarterbacks that could be in the conversation for money over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. Um, Herbert's second at 43 and change per year, basically Josh Allen's contract six for 260. Kyler Murray is third at 42 and change just under that at six for 254. They're phenomenal. They're phenomenal. Murray's a little bit less traditional, a little bit more scrambly. Herbert is traditional stuff. He can move. He's got some rushing stats to boot, but it is more about kind of a wizardry with his arm, a little bit Mahomesy, sort of Aaron Rodgersy. I realize that's ridiculous praise, but it feels that way. It feels like this guy came in and he had all the tangibles, but for some reason we just kind of knocked him on his butt with the draft stock. And he's out to prove something and he's doing that. And he's been better and better every week. And that Chargers team, we knew it. We've known it for three years. The second they get healthy and can sustain sustain some health, they're going to be damn good. They built that defense properly and they spent on the offensive line this offseason. All the recipes for success. So uh, he's a legit MVP candidate and he's a legit $45 million per year candidate come 2023 as of right now. He is trending everywhere up right now. Murray's in the same boat. He was showing it last year. He wasn't healthy last year. He was showing it through some kind of injury. And I think he's hurt now. So he had a good four and a half week run with full health. And he showed us he's an MVP candidate when that's the case. But I believe there's a shoulder problem right now. So he's a guy to watch over the next five weeks. With that said, I'll reiterate reiterate this. It could be Herbert versus Murray in the Super Bowl. Neither of them can get a contract until 2023. Okay. Who's number one on this list? It's Russell Wilson. It's Russell Wilson. I realize he's going to miss a month. I realize he's got, he's currently got three years left. So after this year, there'll be two years left in his contract. I realize he is not happy with the team building roster construction in Seattle and rightfully so. Um, 
you know, it's pressure up the middle that got him hurt here. That's no easier way to say it than that. He's a $45 million quarterback, almost right on the dot, dollar for dollar. He's 32, you know, bit of a red flag, but not really because he really hasn't been knocked on his butt that much. He has been evasive, but not to the point of where he's a running quarterback. I think he's been a brilliant quarterback in this league. Brilliant. He's won a lot of games. You can say he hasn't won enough of late in terms of the games that mattered. And, you know, Seattle could have a season here that may force a lot of change, whether it's coach, whether it's a ton of overhaul uh, in the trenches, you know, I, I guess we could get ourselves to a situation where Russell next February is, is saying what he was saying last off season to some degree, which is, I don't know that I can give you guys another chance to fix this. I may just have to go find greener grass. If that, if that happens, you know, he's getting a new contract, but if he stays, I think he's still getting a new contract because that's kind of how this stuff works. You know, if you're, if you're in battle a little bit and you have the kind of power that Russell Wilson has, and he does have power, he could get himself traded if he wanted to. He could get himself a new contract if he wanted to. The problem with this is if your gripe is I need a better right tackle or I need a better left guard or, you know, you got to give me a tight end who can actually get himself open in the slot so that we can work some seam routes and Whatever the hell he it, it is, I'm sure there's a lot smarter people out there that know exactly what this team needs, and you know whether or not they can find that in an off season is remains to be seen. But if Russell's trying to leave, and John Schneider basically says, "Look, we'll give you a new deal, but it's not going to help us fill in the blanks." You know, if we're trying to pull a, a left guard out of free agency, that costs us 18 million a year now, minimum. To go get a top left guard, or if we're trying to acquire, you know, a tight end or a, or a right tackle, similar to what, you know, you know, getting Orlando Brown for the Chiefs was. Look, I mean, the Chiefs essentially brought in four, four offensive line pieces, starting offensive line pieces this offseason via the trade, via the draft, and via free agency. They did it all. If that's what Russell Wilson is looking for this Seahawks team to do, because certainly the weapons are there. I mean, Chris Carson. DK Metcalf, Tyler Meckett, even a couple of these smaller wide receivers, less low wide receivers, they can play ball. But if he's looking for that overhaul, there's going to have to be some concessions here, financially speaking. And I'm not saying he has to restructure or take less money, but it probably means you can't go $45 million a year right now unless you do so in a way that pushes everything down the line. And in that case, why even do it? Why even do it? Just hold your guns, restructure your contract, drop the cap for 2022 down as low as possible, and give your team the best ability, the best chance to do what they have to do. You know, don't recklessly restructure, restructure as needed. If there's a left guard out there that's, you know, that needs four for 60 or whatever it's going to be, and John Schneider comes to you and says, Look, man, we got to free up eight million right now. Can you help us out? Do it. Instead of going the route of, I need $45 million a year. You got to rip up the last years of my contract. That's a situation to monitor because it could be explosive. It could be, get me the hell out of here. It could be, you got to pay me to keep me. And it could be, let's just restructure and try to build this thing back up properly and give ourselves two to three years to try to win another Super Bowl together as a Seahawks organization. 
all those things could be on the table with Russell Wilson. And I don't think any of us would be shocked in either way. So it's something to monitor. But the, the point, you know, the, the long story short here is of all these quarterbacks, Stafford, Murray, Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson sits atop this list, statistically speaking, from a financial evaluation standpoint, $45 million a year. That's how efficient he's been. That's how consistent he's been. That's how good he's been. Wilson, Herbert, Murray, then we get to Aaron Rodgers. Very similar story, though we're all leaning towards the fact that he's going to be traded, let's just say to Denver, they're going to rip up his current contract, and they're going to give him a brand new deal. It's not, you know, the conversation I just had with you, though, it's, it, it can be a very similar situation in Denver. You know, Cortland Sutton's coming up. I imagine they let him walk because they do have other wide receivers to fill in those blanks. Bradley Chubb, Vaughn Miller, you know, they did kind of take care of their secondary, which was good work from Denver's standpoint, but they got to build a pass rush back up. They probably need one more offensive lineman and you, you probably need a third or fourth wide receiver, which shouldn't break your bank. Aaron Rodgers has never taken a discount ever. He has maxed out all three iterations of his contract when possible, and you can't really blame him. He's been an MVP almost annually. He's only been significantly hurt once. His teams are perennially in the, in the postseason, and he's got a chip on his shoulder from where he was drafted and having to wait a year for Brett Favre. All, all that existed, and rightfully so. And whatever you know has to motivate himself from a self-standpoint has worked. So I'm not going to sit here and, and crap on Aaron Rodgers anymore. I think enough people have done that over the past six months. But I don't expect him to go to Denver or somewhere else and say, give me 35 a year. Give me 30 a year. If Brady's taking 25, give me 30. We'll be good. Something like that. I just don't expect that. If he's worth 42 in our system, that's the number I'm going to start him at. And if he says, look, I'm coming here to save your franchise, if that's what Denver you know, acquires him to do, Peyton Manning-esque, <laughs> There's no reason that he shouldn't get there and say, you got to make me the highest paid quarterback in the history of football. And then I'll, I'll, I promise I'll pay it back for you. I promise I'll give you the Super Bowl that you brought me here to get. That's the Aaron Rodgers that I expect because that's what we've seen forever. So while he's $42 million a year and fourth on this list right now in terms of contract needy quarterbacks, if he goes you know, six for 275, not six, excuse me, four for... Four at 46 a year, you know, if that's what he ends up at, I'm not going to be shocked by that at all. Okay. If he goes four for 185 million, I'm not going to be surprised by that because that's just kind of the career that we've seen from Aaron Rodgers and he's got the stats to back it up. So something to keep an eye on there. Yes. Russell's first. Yes. There's two guys after that who can't even be extended yet, but Aaron Rodgers could be a dark horse to just come in force his way to a new franchise and become the highest paid quarterback in the history of football from an average standpoint. Very possible. All right. Four more guys to get to. I'm going to be a little bit quicker with this. We've talked Lamar a lot. It seems like that's been shelved. Um, they're playing with fire a little bit. There's a fifth year option next year that I, I don't know where to put my thumb on this one just yet. All right. Lamar's value has dropped about a million and a half over the past six or seven weeks, whether it's the COVID, whether it's his injury, whether it's the team around him and whether it's just his stats. Okay. His value is dropping. 
So he's about 41.6 right now in our system, and he was consistently 42.5 all last year, all last season. So if I'm telling you he's worth six for 250 right now, that feels about right. It does, because he's not Josh Allen. Not right now, you know, but he's close, and he's got an MVP, and he's got good playoff production. It's a big year for Lamar. If they're going to let this thing ride out, you know, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. They're probably a Super Bowl sleeper team right now. But he needs to have a big second half of this year to get himself back in this kind of conversation. Otherwise, I think it's extremely possible that Baltimore runs out this fifth-year option and, and franchise tags him. And I'll, I'll bury the lead of my next guy, Baker Mayfield. I'm positive that's where that's going. I'm positive because he's basically worth a franchise tag on an average standpoint. It's a, it's about 35-1, but on any, any, any given day, that could be 32 or 33. That's just how, how much his gameplay fluctuates. He could have a three-week stretch where he's playing like a $38 million quarterback and then a three-week stretch where he's playing like a, like a Tannehill, which is 28 and a half. And I think he's trending more towards Tannehill than he is, you know, Dak or Josh. So... I'm really struggling with Baker to the point of where I'm I'm off Baker on a multi-year contract almost completely. Um, and that's not a bad thing necessarily for Baker Mayfield. Okay. It's just not. He's going to make a ton of coin. The fifth year option next year is 18 and change. You know, that franchise tag is going to be around 35, which is where he's valuing. So it's not like he's getting a raw deal. He's just not getting the multi-year guarantee he thinks he deserves. He's going to have to show his stuff. And then come 2024, after that cap has exploded from the TV money, if he's good enough, maybe not to stay with Cleveland, but to go somewhere else as a free agent, a la Kirk Cousins, you get a high guaranteed, high average salary contract on a three, four year extension. That's what you're looking for if you're Baker Mayfield. I, I just don't think you're getting $40 million. And, and if it's my money, I'm not giving him $35 million on a multi-year contract either right now. I'm letting that rookie contract play out and he may hate it and there may be some trouble from his agent, but that's the route I'm going with Baker right now. And I'm leaning towards that route with Lamar Jackson. Uh, I really am. And I, I love Lamar. He is must see TV, but I'm leaning towards that with him because the consistency just hasn't been there for me. And I'm worried about the injury and I'm worried about the team as a whole. And I've talked about this before on this show. That to me just isn't a team that is built to maintain Lamar Jackson's production for the next three years, which is what you would absolutely require if you guaranteed him $150 million, which is what the going rate is. That's what Josh Allen just did. So that's what Baker's looking for. That's what Lamar's looking for. They don't give a crap about 42 a year. They want $150 million guaranteed, which is what I'm saying no to if I'm the GM. That's what I'm saying no to with those two players right now. You know, you want to you want to do a little bridge contract that guarantees you about ninety million. Let's do it. Let's do that. Fine, but we're not going top of the market full of full guarantees for either of those players right now, just because we haven't seen what we need to see, or our team isn't built. Not in Cleveland's case, but in Baltimore's case, our team isn't ready for one hundred and fifty million guaranteed right now. There are too many things we have to to pivot from on a roster construction standpoint. So I. For two, for two very different reasons, I think both those players are in the same boat right now. Matthew Stafford, he didn't take a new contract when he got to L.A. I liked that move for both sides. I thought it was smart. Let this thing mature a little bit, th a little bit 
let it maturate a little bit. Um, the problem is this, you know, he, this is like his fourth contract. He's made a ton of money. He's 33 and change years old. None of that really scares me because he's still an MVP candidate on the field. But if I'm the Rams, you know, we got burned pretty bad with golf, golf's contract, with Gurley's contract, and to some degree with Brandon Cook's contract. They've got a lot of bad taste in their mouth from their big-time top-of-the-market extensions of late. Is there a world where Matthew Stafford can play ball for this team? Where I've got him valued at $34.5 million, basically Baker Mayfield, which is not an insult, okay? It's not an insult. It is, you're 33, you've made a lot of money. Where you are statistically based on 2020, you know, because we take a two-year scope here, that's just what where it comes out. You know, you're a $40 million, $40 million contract for this Rams team right now. I fully believe that. But you're a 35 over the past two. And you're a 35 because you're 33. I think the Rams would love him at 35. I think they would accept him at 40. But I think they would love him at 35 a year for all the reasons I just said with Russell and with Aaron Rodgers. You know, Andrew Whitworth <laughs> isn't going to be able to be a star left tackle forever. They're going to have to replace that extremely important position. All right. And there's some defensive players on the, on the line. They're going to have to be addressed soon as well. And a starting quarterback cornerback, I should say. So there's money coming in other, in other areas. There's mouths to feed. I think they would be extremely pleased if Matthew Stafford took 35 million a year, which is honestly where he's valuing based on Lions plus Rams. I understand him going out and saying, you got to give me four for 160. I'd be, I, I perfectly understand that. Now, if he goes out and says, you got to give me four for 185, what Aaron Rodgers is talking about, I'm not sure I can get there. But if he wins the MVP and the Rams are in the Super Bowl, as many are predicting, everything may change. <laughs> right? That's, that's what happened with golf. That's what happened with Gurley. I get it. I understand. Um, you know, Super Bowls change everything. MVPs change a lot. That's why Lamar is having the conversation he's having right now. I mean, he was the best player in football two years ago, and there's no arguing that. And he's still one of the best players in football right now. Matthew Stafford has, has made the most of his new change of scenery here. And if they get to the finish line, I don't know that value can be included in that conversation. But it would be the best for the Rams. He's made his money. For those who don't know, I'm going to pull this up right now live. Matthew Stafford has earned... $246.5 million. That's fifth among active players. And it is, wait for it, eighth all time. Eighth all time. So <laughs> he's made his coin. There's no question about that. So if anybody's going to take a small discount for the betterment of the team, because I don't see Aaron Rodgers doing it, I think it could be Matthew Stafford. I think there's a world where Matthew Stafford can live between 35 and 40 million a year you know, very highly guaranteed, which would be the trade-off. You know, if we're doing four for 160, let's do 125 or 30 million of that fully guaranteed. And basically the fourth year is an option. I think that's good for everybody. I think that's the way to go. Derek Carr is the final piece of this puzzle. Um, certainly he's had two weeks, back-to-back -back weeks here that have brought him back down to earth after an MVP start. He's valuing around 32 and change right now. So he's the lowest on this list by quite a bit. He's only 30. 
Um, there's going to be mouths to feed to keep that Raiders team afloat. And it's a lot of season left. The Raiders can still really contend for this postseason. I don't, I don't believe that they're out in week five. And Derek Carr is going to have a lot to say about that. They do have, as I mentioned in this first segment, they do have a running back situation that could carry them through a couple of weeks if they're healthy. They've had health issues with those running backs. But if they get that right, and, and the offensive line starts to gel a little bit more, because remember, that's basically a brand new offensive line, stunning, a stunning offseason development. If those things sort of gel and mature and become more consistent, I think Derek Carr will, will round back into form start to find some of these really nice wide receiver options and certainly one of the best tight ends in football. And the offense can really start to get back on track. I'm, I'm not counting this team out, but Derek Carr is going to need a new contract. He's got one more year left after this year. It's about 19 million. He and Stafford are sort of aligned contractually, both with what it costs and how the contracts align. So there's a world where Derek Carr is basically a mini Matthew Stafford in this whole plan. If Stafford gets to the Super Bowl, you know, maybe he's a $45 million player. If Carr gets into the AFC divisional game with the Raiders, which would be a big step forward for them, you know, maybe now he's $38 million a year, pushing up there near DAC money because he's young and he can sustain, uh, sustain an offense. Derek Carr's not going to be a $40 million plus quarterback, in my opinion. He's just not that kind of player. He is an above average game manager. He can carry a team every now and then. He's got a little bit of golf, a little bit of Wentz. He's a better Garoppolo for sure. Um, you know, he's in the upper tier of quarterbacks who are not superstars and should be paid accordingly. We have to set a market that isn't the next man up. And we're going to talk about that a lot on Wednesday's show. But I think Derek Carr is the perfect candidate. And by the way, Matthew Stafford can be if he takes that pay cut. We need to set a tier for players who deserve a lot of money, but don't want to steamroll their team's cap and, and, and cash situation by going next man up. I think Derek Carr is that player. And I think even with a huge rest of this year, he maintains that, that status. So there's like a $38 million ceiling for Derek Carr, in my opinion, based on where we're going. But a lot to change, a lot can happen. It is only week five. It's been a good start. This was a strong weekend for big time matchups. And, uh, you know, my hometown team, the Bills, certainly got the job done there with their superstar quarterback, freak of an athlete quarterback. So that's the, I'm going to finish on this thought. You know, I, I think Mahomes had a rough week. I, I don't exactly know what that game plan was, but they kind of refused to go underneath on a, on a Bills defense that was playing safeties deep 95% of the game. I'm going to throw this one out the window on Mahomes. I, I think they're going to write that ship and Mahomes is going to be just fine soon. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, all of your high-paid quarterbacks, all of them, all right? Matt Ryan had a good week. Kirk Cousins had a weird week, but he's had a strong season, okay? But your high-paid high quarterbacks are getting the job done, big time, big time. Russell had an okay start. Rodgers is good. They're getting the job done, and that's good for the game because, like I said, we're going to talk next man up in a couple of days here, but... The reason that keeps happening is because of what I just said. Great quarterbacks, regardless of how they're paid, remain great. It, it, it's been very, very rare that a guy gets to the top of the, of the pendulum in terms of financial pay and then falls off a truck. Carson Wentz and Jared Goff are kind of in that conversation. But like I said, 
Goff is what he is. I think there's still a ceiling for Wentz that he can get to, especially with this Colts team. It's just it's been a weird year, and maybe they write the ship tonight against Baltimore. But high-paid quarterbacks are good quarterbacks, and good quarterbacks are good quarterbacks. That's just a fact. Okay, so you can say that paying your quarterback a ton of money can torch your team, but there's a lot of winning happening. There's a lot of good quarterback quarterback play happening with these high-paid guys. You know, I'm putting Dak and Josh Allen at the forefront of this conversation right now. So. It's good to see. It's good for the game. It's good for other sports. You want superstars to be highly compensated to keep things moving forward. We don't ever want to flatline. I think hockey, to some degree, has flatlined. Superstars have been around the $10 to $12 million mark because the cap can't push, because the league hasn't grown. You need your big faces to be transactionally relevant, Okay, whether that's trade demands, air quotes, trade demands, or getting themselves onto primetime games and being superstars like Alan Mahomes were, like Dak was yesterday. All this matters. It's a betterment for the league. So high-paid players doing big-time things is just good for football, and that's where we are at the quarterback position right now. All right. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first-year subscription, and check out balancedbridge.com for all your investing and financial solution needs. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.